Guten Tag, Midnight Warriors, and welcome to another fortnightly episode of War Starts at Midnight. I'm Hunter Cates. And I'm Chris Gallagher. Why don't you have a seat? Because on today's show, I'm paying penance for my cinematic sins in our war crimes review of that time Arnold Schwarzenegger attempted to catch a predator. Then, in special features, we will discuss Analyzing Arnold, a symposium on Schwarzenegger. And finally, we'll wrap up the show as we always do with some really rad recommendations. But first... Chris, I would say as a general rule, I am probably more familiar with obscure cinema, the dollar bin trash, kitschy trash, you might say. (laughs) However, there is one instance in which there is a film you have seen which is so obscure, I dare say you might be one of only 15 people to ever live who have ever seen this. And now this movie is coming back, isn't it? It it is. Okay. So I I don't think it's quite that that small, especially uh, after, I guess, last week at Fantastic Fest, they sort of announced. So let me just back up here. So there's this movie that I saw at the local drive-in back in 2006 with a buddy. This Here in Oklahoma? Here here in Tulsa at Admiral Twin. Um, This like kind of psychedelic band called Ghosts played beforehand. They were all dressed up in in costumes and it was a really like bizarre, amazing, wonderful sort of atmosphere. And college was a strange time for Chris in case you <laughs> just so you all know. And so they, they, they played a show and then they screened this film. And then afterwards we met the director who drove out from California to Tulsa with like the reels in the trunk of his car to screen this. And it was just, it was, it was a wonderful uh, experience with an audience. It was really just, fascinating and bizarre to like speak with the man who, who made this film. It took, okay. So the film is called dangerous men, uh, draft- dangerous than men, the movie, right? Well, it, dangerous men, the movie is the, the website. If, All you, right. if you go to, uh, he kind of infamously had this, um, this song that he wrote for it. He, so uh, I guess, let me back up again. Uh, John S. Rad, the director, he wrote, directed, produced, um, scored, sang songs in the, uh, in the film, he basically did everything like, um, uh, he was a real Robert Rodriguez. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Robert Rodriguez, who, instead of making things very quickly on the fly, it took him 20 years to make this like 75 minute movie. And didn't he, if I'm not mistaken, didn't he also thank himself in the credits? He, he does. He thanks himself in the credits, which actually inspired Jake and I, um, who I, I saw the film with and who has been on the show before. Um, every film that we made together in college, we thanked him um, in the credits of our film because, or of our films, I guess, uh, just because it felt necessary. Like he, he really like, he, it's one of those Jonas Rad and dangerous men. It's one of those topics that Jake and I will talk on the phone every, maybe once or twice a month. And if that topic comes up two and a half hours are just automatically on the clock to be spent talking on the phone. Which is funny because, as I understand it, it's not a two and a half hour movie, not it's, even close. No, it's, it's like 75 minutes. And here's the thing. So Draft House um, has uh, they, they are going to release it in, I believe, November, like mid-November um, in theaters and on VOD. And then next year, it's going to be out on DVD, uh, Blu-ray and VHS. And, and they themselves, this is taken from their like press release um, announcing it. They said Dangerous Men, quote, should very much be considered the holy grail of holy f***ing movies. With with that comes a lot of, it, it's definitely, it's one of those movies that's going to get labeled, and already has been labeled, as so bad it's good. And I have a, I don't know, I don't love the so bad it's good sort of it, it, people classifying movies as a genre, partially because I think we've gotten, you know, these asylum films films these the, if it's the, deliberately the, bad that takes away yeah some of yeah the, they're intentionally the and, and this guy like having spoken with him for you know only only maybe 10 15 minutes like you could tell this was really like he was passionate about this film it took him 20 years to make it his cast like several people in his cast left uh halfway through the film making of the film and so he just sort of replaced them and kept moving because it's all he could do you know he was I'm pretty sure he was self-financing everything. It ran for when he finally finished in 2005, it ran for a week in a theater in LA. And I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. I want to say it made like something like $62 after the like four or five people demanded their money back. 
Like he paid to have it run and it, it barely anyone saw it. And then kind of got picked up as this sort of odd midnight movie sort of oh, thing. A traveling road show, a traveling psychedelic yeah, yeah. road show. And, and, and so there's, there's something to this that um, I think people are going to, they're going to see it because they're going, they want to see the spectacle. And I think it's a little bit better than that. Like, yes, it's a impossible to comprehend and follow sort of storyline. Um, what is the plot? Just in uh, okay. So broad the basic plot: this man and woman are on the beach. I don't know if they're they're in a relationship. But I don't know if they're married or uh, just dating. Doesn't matter. And a biker gang comes up, you know, to the beach because biker gangs like to hang out at the beach, right? Mm-hmm. And they <laughs> murder the the man. And so the entire plot of the rest of the film is the woman just going on a rampage, basically getting revenge on dangerous men. You know, she's she'll seduce them or she'll if she ends up in a situation where a a man is, you know, trying to um, overpower her, she will then, you know, put on the like, oh, yeah, sure. You can you can, you know, take me for a ride or you can you can take me back to your motel room or whatever. And then she murders them. All right. Well, and that makes complete sense. Are these guys affiliated with the biker gang or just? No, no, there's no like it's just she's looking. She she goes out looking for trouble and she finds it and she murders it. Now, what's fascinating about this is you said it took about a quarter of a century to produce. Yeah. And that time he actually when you think about it, this just occurred to me. He kind of predicted Ashley Judd's career because isn't that what her whole thing was is playing <laughs> like the, the constantly uh, victimized oh, femme okay, fatale who goes okay. on vengeance. I so this guy was truly ahead of his time. He, he, in a way, yeah, maybe, maybe he was like, I, I'm just, I'm really excited to see this movie. And it's been a decade since you've seen it. It's been, yeah, almost a decade. It was, it was about nine years ago, almost exactly right now. And I, I legitimately never thought I was going to see it again. Um, well, whenever you told me about it, and I, and as I said, in my intro here is I was starting to suspect that it it only existed in your head. <laughs> no, <that's, laughs> I didn't. That's think. what like we have so many friends that we have explained it to and 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 spoken to about it, and this is like vindication that we didn't just accidentally go on some sort of acid trip one night in our sophomore year of college. Like this actually happened. And where is it going to happen again? um, It's yet to be determined as far as here. It'll be available on VOD. Circle cinema might be getting it possibly fingers crossed. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I sent a tweet out to Chuck Fox and he's part of the, uh, the local video drone podcast, I guess our, our local film podcast competitors perhaps, um, but also handles programming at, uh, circle cinema. So, and he, he replied, he said, he's going to look into it. So hopefully, hopefully we'll actually be able to see it, uh, up on a big screen again. Fantastic. And I, so this guy is kind of the modern day Ed Wood. Hopefully he'll be there because I think that's just as much the experience of meeting him too. No, he, he died back in 2007, which is, which is really, really a sad point. Um, but Awkward, was, like, cue was, awkward silence. Yeah, cue. I, I don't know how you're going to dig us out of this one with your segue, but um, certainly he was, can't dig him he, out. But. He, oh, <laughs> he was he was a lovely, sweet, kind man. Well, and we thank him for contributing his uh, artistic work of a lifetime, uh, Dangerous Men, which will soon be coming to a theater, maybe near you. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully near you. Hopefully at least at you. least VOD, and you can you can get the Blu-ray and VHS. Uh, you should check out. Here's here's my closing words on this. Check out www.dangerousmenthemovie.com for the promotional song that he wrote for the film. He had sort of this website that looked like it was built maybe back in 1997. Circuit um, Dancing Babies. Yeah, yeah. And um, when it expired, and, and that, that song was on it, when it expired, um, I bought the domain and put the song back up for, you know, posterity. That, you know, that I didn't know. I never would have figured you for that sentimental. Oh, uh, yeah, for the sentimental yeah, type, is, it meant that much. This too. is like, oh man, I, I I could talk for days about dangerous men. I mean, this might this might wind up being a uh, a major benefit to you, a financial benefit I, to you I, if this I, film takes off. Yeah, I don't know about that, but you know, well, it we're not really sure when it's coming out, but uh, when it does, you definitely need to check that out. I'm looking forward to. Yeah, it. I'd I'll, like to take this I'll, acid I'll trip as well. This this will probably be my really rad recommendation for the next five years. Several, yeah, yeah, for the next several episodes. So even though you can't watch this film now, uh, in the meantime, Chris and I will continue to pay penance for our cinematic sins. And one that was very glaring on Chris's list is the film we're reviewing today, which is from 1987, and it's John McTiernan's Predator, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. So let's all get to the chopper. In a part of the world where there are no rules. We pick up their trailer, the chopper, run them down, grab those hostages before anybody knows we were there. 
What do you mean we? Deep in the jungle, where nothing that lives is safe. You lose it here. You're in a world of hurt. Showtime, Jen. Knock, knock. An elite rescue squad. You're bleeding, man. I ain't got time to bleed. <laughs> is being led by the ultimate warrior. We need the best. That's why you're here. But now... What's got Billy so spooked? There's something out there waiting for us. And it ain't no man. They're up against the ultimate enemy. Holy mother of God. Nothing like it has ever been on Earth before. She says the jungle just came alive and took him. We cannot see it. No blood, no bodies. We hit nothing. But it sees the heat of our bodies and the heat of our fear. Whatever it is out there, it killed Hopper. And now it wants us. It kills for pleasure. He will skin the lion! It hunts for sport. He's killing us one at a time. We're all gonna die. But this time, it's picked the wrong man to hunt. If it bleeds, we can kill it. I'll be honest, a mandatory war crimes review is exactly the kind of kick in the pants I needed to finally bite the bullet and watch Predator. Action films of the 80s and 90s are a pretty large oversight for me. I never watched them as a kid, and I legitimately can't remember if I wasn't allowed to or if I just didn't care to. It probably didn't help that while I was growing up, my only real outlet to movies was either the small corner of the neighborhood grocery store or whatever ran Saturday afternoons on one of the over-the-air stations. Long ago, I made a decision to cut my losses and abandon all hope of ever catching up with the whole greased-up, muscle-bound, meathead subgenre. Yet, here we are today to discuss one of the premier picks of the canon. Or should we say the premier pecs of the canon? After viewing it, I find it hard to believe that Arnold ever won the audience over with his rigid recitation of one-liners and dialogue intended to exposit his character's preternatural prowess for spontaneously crafted covert combat campaigns. Still, folks turned out in droves to see him attempt to annihilate an invisible alien assassin in 1987, and Predator continues to receive the occasional repertory run to this day. So Hunter, I'm curious. What do you think accounts for the prolonged adoration of Arnold in this Creature vs. Commando flick? And furthermore... Why did I need to catch up with Predator? Do you see it as just a principal pillar of pop culture? Or does it truly offer more than that, with imperative insight into a broader history of American cinema? Well, Chris, I would kind of like to be a new hope, you might say. You had mentioned that you had abandoned all hope and given up on the muscle-bound meathead subgenre. Uh And to be frank, I find that almost heartbreaking. Really? You can look at me right now and you can see my lip is quivering. <laughs> so I am hoping that this picture and me recommending this picture could sort of be a new hope to bring you back into the into the fold, okay. as it were. Uh, had you asked me that question a couple of weeks ago before rewatching Predator, I would have said the reason being is, like you said, it's a principal pillar of American pop culture. And I was mm-hmm. just kind of like Top Gun. I was really surprised that you hadn't seen it, much like you were flabbergasted. I hadn't seen oh, Top okay. Gun. To answer your other question, I, the central appeal of this is pretty obvious. Joe Bob Briggs on TNT's Monster Vision, which I was a huge fan of as a child, whenever they showed this, he said that they could have just called this Arnold Schwarzenegger versus a seven-foot-tall alien and would have sold just as many, if not more, tickets. And so I think that appeal is pretty obvious and pretty universal. Mm -hmm. What's especially interesting is the time it came out, Commando had just come out, and then also First Blood Part 2, the second Rambo movie. The first Rambo movie. The first Rambo movie, the, the second, second First, first Blood, Blood movie. movie, but the second movie featuring John Rambo. Yes. And anyway, in both of those instances, you had a single character, one person, take out entire army. Mm-hmm. So it was literally a one-man army, as the genre is ultimately called. So I guess the the table read, wherever they were discussing how this f- picture came about, was, well, they've killed an army. What on earth could possibly stop Arnold Schwarzenegger? Well, nothing on Earth. And mm. so they invented an alien. And so it appeals to me for that reason. Okay. Is is just that, that central, very simple setup that I think is executed as best as you can possibly hope, given what at face value seems rather simplistic. Yeah, just Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger versus seven-foot-tall alien. And even with that setup, it's very uh, effective action cinema. Do you concur? I, I concur to an extent, I think. I guess that that's sort of that seems to be my a lot of times my mode. Me in, and in me and the absolutes things. and yeah. then you and the maybes. Um I I will say it started off I had kind of a roller coaster experience with it. It started off and 
I was pretty on board. I was ready for the, you know, it felt very eighties action movie to me, but not in a, you know, not in a terrible way. Um, I thought the sort of setup of, Oh, Hey, we're going to do this reconnaissance mission. Um, that, you know, then turns into, um, there, I, I guess it's sort of the B story of the MacGuffin of it, of the reconnaissance mission that actually turns into, Oh no, like darker stuff is going on mm-hmm. in here. That was pretty interesting as far as those sorts of plots go. Um, then we kind of get the, the, I guess the place where it really began to lose me was when characters took their very archetypal and in some cases racist, um, sort of this defines who this character is. And I'm talking about not so much. I mean, I think Carl Weathers is Dylan and uh, Bill Duke is Mac. The, the two black fellows in the the film, they're not handled in a way that I was sort of fearful that it was just going to be like, Oh, Hey, we got the two black guys. Like they actually survived for a while, which mm-hmm. I was a little surprised by, but you've got probably the, the worst being Billy. Who's this like mystic Indian, maybe, you know, they never really get into a whole lot, but he's, he's got the long hair and I think the headband and he's constantly like tracking, like, you know, he, right. he knows exactly how many people and all of these things. It's, it's very like, Instead of the magical Negro, it's the magical, maybe Native American. Well, and also, even in 1987, you would have kind of thought that that had already become passe. Yeah. That that character type. That seems straight out of 1950s Lone Ranger serials. Yeah, so that that was pretty ham-fisted. And then you've got uh, Shane Black as the character Hawkins, who, I mean, his whole thing was just, he's making really, really unfunny off-color jokes throughout. Um, I'm going to contest that they are unfunny. I, in like fact, them? whenever I was oh, in middle man. school, that's how I impressed the guys back in middle school is I would tell them those jokes and they thought it was just absolutely magnificent. Oh, funny story, though. Do you know uh, how that character came about and those jokes came about? No, I don't. I I, I will say this real quick. I'll, I'm going to cut you off. Like, Shane Black, I was amazed to realize in, in the credits because they did like sort of the the 80s sitcom credits where it's like right, freeze we can, frame. We'll talk on about the, that. Okay. Well, um, which is kind of, well, I, actually we'll talk about it now. Isn't that was really a ridiculous way to end some, all the horror you had just seen. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's very, very odd and very like movies. What, movies it, cannot be much more brutal than predator is. And yet it ends it, like so, that. So weird. Um, but to see that Shane black who, you know, he wrote the lethal weapon movies. He directed Iron Man three, um, he wrote several action movies throughout the what late eighties and early nineties. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, I didn't realize that was him. Um, so I, I was kind of surprised to see him as an actor, uh, in this, but I was, I was really glad. I think he was the first to go. I was really glad when he died because the, the jokes were, well, were cause done. see, that's the thing is back in the day, I loved, uh, Hawkins and the Shane Black character yeah, even before yeah. I knew who Shane Black was. Uh, forewarning listeners and Chris, this episode's going to be a lot of me dropping knowledge bombs about Predator. So if you want to hear it from my mouth, continue listening, or if you just want to go to IMDb trivia and then type <laughs> Google up Predator. But what's fascinating about Shane Black's involvement in this picture is he had just written Lethal Weapon for Joel Silver, who produced Lethal Weapon and then also produced Predator. Mm-hmm. And so they were hanging out in bars drinking tequila, and these were Shane Black's legitimate jokes. He was making these jokes to Joel Silver, oh. and the character was so underdeveloped, the Hawkins character, that Joel Silver was like, oh, yes, absolutely. Tell those jokes in the movie. It'll be great. And the writers of Predator were horrified. They they, they didn't like it at all. Rightly so. But Joel Silver was such a powerful producer at that point that Shane Black pretty much just wrote his own character. Interesting. I I think his jokes in something like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which he wrote and directed, much better than the jokes that he wrote for himself here. Well, he might have another chance to redeem you because they are, as you know, big surprise, they're making a new Predator movie. And guess who's writing and directing it? I saw that on his IMDb, but I wasn't sure if that, what the, the actual, because it, it said, you know, like in production or I'm sorry, like pre-production or, or something, you know, one of those real vague, like maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't, um, titles. Um, so but, well, just the, the possibility of that will make me giddy. Cause I've seen all the predator pictures, including the alien versus predator. I've actually seen, I had seen a good portion of alien versus predator before, the first I, had, one. before I had seen this. Yeah. Not, not the, uh, what's the other one? Not Re- requiem. Is, yeah. is it requiem? Okay. There's a guy at work, um, Keith Kennedy, uh, mm-hmm. he always, every once in a while, like he'll come into my office every, you know, couple weeks and just be like, let's talk about movies. And recently he's been coming in and talking about 
Requiem and how it's just just a uh, to to borrow a phrase from Devin Faraci of Birth Movies Death, just a garbage movie. Like it's just like you can't see anything. It's just it's just absolute trash. Alien versus Predator Requiem or yeah, yeah. Re- okay, I, I thought you meant like the idea of Requiem. No, 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 like Requiem no, movies. It's no, like, no, no, no. That that particular movie. I don't know why. I don't know if he's caught it. Well, on TV please let him know that I think he's crazy because okay. I actually thought it was pretty solid. I'll, I'll communicate the uh, the, <laughs> the 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 outrage over Requiem. Uh, so what did you know about the Predator character and did you have any affection for him? Um, I don't know. I, I knew the basic sort of story of like, oh, he's come to Earth to hunt. I think I got that from the um, a- my watching of Alien vs. Predator, at least. Like, it, you know, they kind of rehash yeah, and they fill in. Beat you up um, the head with it. Yeah. And I mean, I even I remember I think it's a woman this time because, oh, big, big twist says Arnold's famous line of you're one ugly motherfucker. Um, and I, for some reason, knew that that was from it. But that was about it. Like, I knew Carl Weathers was in it. I didn't know, though. I didn't realize until halfway through watching this, Carl Weathers is Chubbs Peterson from uh, Happy Gilmore, a movie I watched a ton as a child, the uh, the golf instructor. Well, and you knew he was Apollo Creed, too, right? Okay, so I knew that. I hadn't, like, in my mind, he was all those things, but I had never connected all of that together, if, if that makes any sense at all. Well, I knew what you're saying makes sense, but that doesn't make sense. <laughs> I knew I knew Apollo Creed was Carl Weathers. I knew Carl Weathers was in Predator. I knew I didn't know it was Carl Weathers in Happy Gilmore. So I, just kind of the the line connecting the dots somewhere yeah, there, along the way was, got erased. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so that that kind of blew my mind a little bit. And I really like Carl Weathers in this. He He gets a great death. Oh, absolutely. Well, no, that's the thing is I'd say they all get pretty solid, gruesome deaths, mm-hmm. which is all you can ask for. So you didn't really care much about the character, know much about, and I'm talking about Predator at this point. Um, Not not too much, no. But Predator was definitely my favorite part. The The creature itself uh, was definitely my favorite part. And uh, I think part of that's the design. is Wasn't it uh, Stan Winston who yes, designed it, w- it? Yes, it was. And there's okay. a story for that, too, if you'd like to hear it. I, I would love to hear it. Let's all just right. drop some no, more. No, well, this is magnificent. And you definitely need to check this out online, guys. The original Predator design was horrible. It looked like kind of a humanoid praying mantis. Mm. And they went so far as to film some scenes with it. And in order to do the invisible effect, it had to be a red suit. So some of the early behind-the-scenes footage is of this red <laughs> praying <laughs> mantis chasing after Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> and would you like to know who played the red praying mantis? I would. Jean-Claude Van Damme. What? Yes. Really? Jean-Claude Van Damme was originally Predator. But uh, they showed the footage, John McTiernan showed it to the studio and said, you can't be serious. Mm-hmm. This can't happen. So they got Stan Winston involved. Arnold did because of Terminator. And so Stan Winston was hired to design the character. And I don't know where this came from, but he was inspired by kind of the Rastafarian warrior thing, hence the dreads, oh, okay. which is a key part of the character. And he was on a plane with James Cameron for for whatever reason. And James Cameron said, you know what? I've always liked uh, mandibles and you don't really see any <laughs> character with mandibles. And so Stan Winston added yeah. mandibles. And and those, the, those are the things like the, the, the little details are the things that I really loved about a tr- this. No, a truly magnificent um, creature design. Yeah. Just the, in the functionality of it. And I, I also just love the way that throughout the, the film, because it's, you know, it's an action film. It's a greased up meathead film, as I said earlier, but it's also, it plays out like a horror film in the, um, you know, it's, People are slowly with the exception dying. of the fact that yeah, with the, except for the fact that there isn't a teenage girl who's loose and gets murdered because she's having sex. This is right. a, a, which this is, is a slasher, movie. which is odd because it was the eighties. Yeah, well, that's that's another thing that I watching this again kind of struck me is it seems like an intersection between the one man army action movie and then the slasher movie, mm-hmm. the Jasons, the Michael Myers, the Freddy Kruegers, mm-hmm. and coalescing into one because I almost think it of a think of it as more of a horror film. Well, that's, and that's the things, the things that I like most, the things that worked for me were the things that are borrowing from that horror genre, the, the slasher sort of, uh, prototypes that, um, that we know from particularly from the eighties. And so also the way that, you know, kind of, because the predator, he is, you know, he's the slasher, he's the killer, he's hunting them, literally hunting humans because for sport. You know, he's collecting their skulls because reasons, as yeah. trophies. Yeah, for reasons. Um, and I love the way that they just slowly reveal information about him 
and you know sort of how he works and and all those sorts of things you um first you see the three red dots and then finally eventually later you you see what it is and then you see even more about how it functions you know those little things um i i think were pulled off very well um i also i really love the like kind of camouflage invisible uh effect it's dated 80s, 80s and dated but um, still works. I think, you know, it's, it works in a movie magic sort of way. It doesn't, it's not like, um, you know, it's not like, I, I think I always end up going to this, but it's not like the rock in the mummy returns where it's just like those graphics will never look good again or never, never be acceptable again. Like it feels like it was made in the eighties. They weren't acceptable at the time. I think but, is, yeah, is yeah. another thing. That's, where, that's absolutely. But I know exactly what you um, mean. But you know, it feels like it was made in the eighties, but it also feels like it's still, you know, it, it works. It has a, it's not unbelievable is the thing, even though the effects look dated, you believe what you're seeing. You, I it, think it, it or works. Not seeing. It, it works as an abstraction instead of trying to be, you know, like the, I think the problem with, the Scorpion King is they're trying to make it look real, absolutely real, and it fails miserably. And so when only holding it up to what you know it should look like, it it doesn't work. Whereas this is like a it's it's not representing something exact. Does that make mm-hmm. any sense at all? And and I and so I think it still works. And I, I love it. I, I I think it's very, very beautiful, even though it is kind of stands out as 80s. Well, and and so speaking of the 1980s, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger is the name above the title in this movie, and we'll talk a little bit more about his, or a lot more about his other films. I, I assume you're not a complete Arnold agnostic. No, not completely, but it's, I I don't think I've seen a lot of his seminal films. Um it's we can we can get to this later when we're because we're we're going to off, offer up a whole Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, uh, yeah, a whole bounty of yeah, uh, Schwarzenegger but, but since you are familiar with his uh, on-screen character what did it feel like to you watching him be completely vulnerable I, did that do, do did think, that do much for you? Do you think he is completely vulnerable though? It's kind I of think so. it's I kind mean, of like Superman vulnerability to me. Like he's only vulnerable in so long as he is he just gets more powerful. Yeah, it's it's like um, that didn't, the, to answer your question, no, that didn't really factor in for me like that. Oh, look, he's, he potentially could, could die because it was actually like, I was surprised at how much it was sort of an ensemble piece until mm-hmm. maybe a little past the halfway point. Well, and here's um, your next knowledge bomb. That was actually Arnold's doing. Cause it was originally just predator versus him. Mm-hmm. And then he being a fan of the wild bunch and dirty dozen and things like that expanded it. Yeah. I, I think that expansion was a good choice probably because I think, you know, I, I think it's a little under two hours, but that long of just a one-on-one sort of hunting thing, I don't think it would have worked as well. You need, you, you need that, you know, guys dying along the way and it, it seeming like it's getting, even, even though Arnold wins in the end, he still loses a lot, you know, not, not personally, but his, his friends are all left behind right and so and even though uh, a lot of those characters are one note i do think their interactions together are pretty solid you do mm-hmm. feel like they know each other which yeah may, there's which there's a brotherhood out. there now speaking of a brotherhood we cannot mention probably the 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 big brother in that situation which is jesse ventura how did you feel about jesse ventura's character in this we can't uh, um, review this movie and not when, talk about when him. we are first introduced to him i hated him absolutely hated him just from that, that, that line of like, he's, and he is the perfect, I mean, he looks like a, he looks like a GI Joe character, you know, like that chin and the dimple. And, it's a Sergeant rock or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. But as they got into the jungle and as he began to sort of, um, put himself to use, I began to like him more and more to the point that, you know, it was sad to see him go. Um, when, once he finally gets picked off and it, it was earlier on than I expected, Actually, because the two things that I, I guess three, the three things that I knew about Predator were Arnold Schwarzenegger was in it, Carl Weathers was in it, and Jesse Ventura was mm-hmm. in it. And so I wasn't expecting uh, Jesse Ventura to die as soon as he did. You know, it wasn't like right off the bat, but it was, it was pretty early on. Yeah. And did you shed some tears? Um, it no was, one will, no one will was, think less of if you did. I, I, I didn't shed tears, but I was sad to see him go. I mean, and that's good. Like, I, I think that was probably the right time to get rid of him so that it wasn't a, a like, oh, well, of course he was, you know, there were only two of them left. It, it had it been just Jesse Ventura and Arnold, it would have been like, oh, well, 
Yeah, he's he's definitely yeah, gone see, now. See you, Jesse. Um, funny thing about this, and this didn't occur to me until later, but given that it stars Jesse Ventura and Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah, uh, two go- two, well, two former governors, and uh-huh. then I thought, well, they've been in other things because I knew they were in Running Man oh, together. Yeah. So, and then they were also in Batman and Robin together. Jesse Ventura, I believe, plays a police officer. It's almost a cameo. Okay, part. I don't. I don't recall. I've seen Batman pl- and Robin. Well, I've seen I've seen the first like three quarters of Batman. He's and Robin the alive. he's the cop in uh, Arkham Asylum who oversees Mister Freeze's uh, container. Huh. Okay. okay, so three films. The only three films that starred two former <laughs> co- two former what governors a, are what, those three pictures. Yeah, talk about action cannons. That's yeah. like just why is that not a box set unto itself? Uh, well, you know, maybe it will be one day. Uh, so I I started this off by saying that uh, the reason I recommended it a couple of weeks ago was for the central principle appeal. This is just a mm-hmm. popular culture landmark. But watching it again and uh, reading some of the text commentary with the screenwriters, it appeals to me on another way. At the risk of sounding pretentious, I am something of a student of Joseph Campbell, who was the, of course, world-famous expert on myth and mythology. Mm-hmm. And he argued that there were small amounts of myths that were shared by cultures, yeah. uh, you know, from one end of the other, Earth to the next. Uh, and so what fascinated me about this picture scene the next time is it—, it is part of that in many ways. It's the Minotaur in the maze and the hero has to go into the maze and mm-hmm. kill the Minotaur or it's Beowulf and Grendel. Yeah. And this is very much part of that. And so you have this eighties heroic icon being forced to rid himself of his weapons. Cause that's the only way he can save himself. Ironically is to get rid of his guns. Cause that's what predator is targeting. Cause he's, you know, predator is a right, fair right. hunter. So he has to remove his weapons and then go back to basics and use, fire and wood and arrowheads and rock and all of these other things in order to finally defeat the monster. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that appeals to me that never really, I never really picked up on until now is that this is, even if it's kitschy, even if it's a little bit uh, over the top in 1980s, it is in many ways a modern day myth of the hero battling the monster in the Mm -hmm. woods. Um, Real quick, did I miss the part where, they all realized that they had to take off their clothes gradually to uh, evade the predator. Because uh, did you notice this? I'm like, sure, I think that was in Beowulf too. I, I think that was in Beowulf. And I mean, well, for goodness sakes, the Minotaur—that's ancient Greece. They didn't even have their clothes to begin with. Like, so we should just, be grateful. That, they just get sweatier and more naked as the movie goes, and, and, and never explain. It's just like well, they they all had shirts and now they don't. Two explanations, then, I think, is one: it's South America. And then secondly, people would assume, maybe they're assuming that guys are taking their girlfriends to this and they, the girlfriends have to have something to maybe. I don't know. Uh, like, be, be amused all, by. All I could think is like, you're just becoming more vulnerable to, you know, the, forget if you get out from the predator, like some, you're going to get some weird South African bug that's going to bite you and eat, eat through your flesh. Actually, in the sequel, Predator 2, uh, Dutch doesn't show up. I don't think Dutch shows up again in the series. So maybe that's what happened is he got dysentery that's probably, and he died. That's he survived the predator, but didn't, because he was swimming in that nasty water yeah he probably got malaria yeah see it's it, it's it's never the things that you expect that uh that end up getting you in the end well speaking of never the things that you expect chris i know that we don't have time to bleed much like jesse ventura but you always have time to drink so what is your beer recommendation today and before you give it will it make you a sexual tyrannosaurus <laughs> much like me uh, <laughs> um you know, I, I didn't approach it in that that manner. I, I probably should have. Um, what what I went with here is sort of a I look for something that's uh, as direct a comparison as, as I could come up with. And so I'm going to recommend Guinness here. And reason being that Guinness is sort of a uh, classic go to of the style um, and it's perfectly fine. It's not my favorite, but um, I do find it drinkable like I find uh uh, predator watchable. Um, I will, you know, I'll go back to it from time to time when, uh, if the option is there, but I'm not going to seek it out per se. I don't need to describe a Guinness to you. Do I? I certainly hope not. No. Okay. It's, it's your kind of quintessential. If, if you go to a bar and they only have one stout, they're probably going to have a Guinness. Um, and I, I think it would pair nicely with this. It's a, 
you know, it's thick and beefy, kind of like uh, all the men in this movie. Well, actually, I believe it's literally beefy. Correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't it have uh, hooves or gelatin or something in it? I think meat is in Guinness, that's, which makes it that much manlier. That's totally possible, but I don't know, man. Well, we'll have to look that I'm, up because I do. I think that is the case. It does have <laughs> meat in it. So one more reason to watch it. I, I kind of wish you had some some knowledge bombs to drop about Guinness and little factoids. I think that, no, I, I do believe there is meat in Guinness okay. and there's certainly lots of uh, meat in Predator. So the, the, this is true. Lots, lots of exploding meat. Well, Predator, if, <laughs> if, if exploding meat is your thing, Predator is currently available on Betamax, VHS, Laserdisc, and also DVD if you still have that. If you've seen it, please tell us your thoughts at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or if email isn't your thing, we'd still love to hear from you. Ring the red phone and leave us a voicemail in your best Arnold voice at 484-424-6362. That's 484-4CINEMA. Stick around. After the break, we'll be discussing Analyzing Arnold, a symposium on Schwarzenegger. We'll be back. Hepburn was asked to define star quality, the grand matron of motion pictures quipped, it's either some kind of electricity or some kind of energy. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, I've got it. She might as well have been describing the name above the title in Terminator, True Lies, Commando, Conan, Kindergarten Cop, and yes, Predator, Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's worth noting that when I misspelled Schwarzenegger in the script, Google Docs automatically corrected it. Is there any clearer proof of this man's Promethean place in American popular culture? Perhaps it's odd to say about a native Austrian, but Arnold Schwarzenegger is the muscle-bound embodiment of the American dream. An immigrant who tendon by tendon, fiber by fiber, literally built himself into the man he wanted to become. Arnold is the modern-day John Wayne. More than mere man, he is the personification of how we saw ourselves in the 1980s and most of the 1990s. Yet, even before his two terms as governor, and certainly since his return to the civilian life, Arnold's bench press at the box office has been, well, wimpy. Shocking as it may be to children of the 80s, the world's biggest movie star isn't really that big of a star anymore. If anything, Arnold seems to be cashing dwindling checks by doing kitschy impersonations of his past self. Is this the inevitable consequence of fickle filmgoers who unmercifully make mortal even the most Herculean of heroes? Or does the decline of America's last action hero say something about us and how we see ourselves in the world? We'll address these questions in a special features topic I'd like to call Analyzing Arnold, a symposium on Schwarzenegger. Chris, don't think about this. When you hear the word Arnold, what's the first thing that pops into your head? Terminator 2 Judgment Day. All right, well then let's start with, I would say probably the best of the bunch. What What is it about Terminator 2, that Judgment Day, that floats your boat? Um, I think it's just the one that I happened to see the most as a as a kid. Like, like I said, like I didn't see a lot of action movies as a kid, but that one, for whatever reason, was, was on TV. I think I saw it on TV before you ever seeing it. it, fully it yeah, uncut. it was on, yeah, Perpetuity on TBS. Well, no, that's that's the thing. I didn't have cable. I didn't oh, have, it like... It was on Fox, too, yeah. It, yeah, it would be on, like, Fox or, like, ABC Sunday Night Movie or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. But, um, yeah, I, I saw that one a lot. And I, like, when I think of Arnold, honestly, I think of first Terminator 2, and then I think of Rainier Wolfcastle, the uh, Simpsons character who is clearly 
a Arnold Schwarzenegger stand. Sometimes some of Rainier, uh, his lines, I'll, I'll just think were Arnold's even if I know better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, is it the real acid? Like, I thought <laughs> goggles, they do nothing. But yet, that was actually Arnold Schwarzenegger. And also, it's a shame Arnold never did a movie in which he threw his boss out the window <laughs> for trying to fire him. It's a shame that never happened yeah. in, a, in a film. But uh, so those are the kind of the two seminal kind of forming bits for me. And I think and I love it that one of them is not even Arnold. Yeah, one of them is not Arnold, but it is like the essence of Arnold. Right. Um, and I think Terminator 2 is probably, I mean, probably still my favorite of anything that I've seen him in. Um, Kindergarten Cop's pretty good, actually. And actually, that would probably qualify as a Hunter War Crime. I don't think I've seen it start, seen to, finish, kin- not start to finish. Okay, no. I, thought, I thought you were going to say Terminator 2 for a second. Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's not great, but it's fun. It's it's mm-hmm. fun for what it is. It's um, my, my thing with Arnold and um, I was, I was hoping that with Predator, it would be a little more flexing his acting muscles, mm-hmm. uh, pun fully intended here. Um, but it, it, it's still that sort of, uh, really bad one liner, like giving him jokes that he doesn't need to be given because he can't really deliver them. Stick around. That was beautiful. Oh my God. Stick around was so bad. <laughs> so bad. Uh, it makes you kind of wonder if people in real special fortress situ- situations <laughs> like that, if after killing someone, if a pun pops into their head, if it doesn't, then they don't say it. But if it does, do you use a pun after just killing someone in real life? I don't know. No, It's worth considering. But, if we have any listeners in special fortress forces, please let us know. But the, uh, um, you know, I, I think Terminator works so well for him because he's playing a robot. And and so it's the, the stiff woodenness of some of his delivery actually works to the benefit of the character. Well, this is uh, another interesting knowledge bomb. Arnold Schwarzenegger actually has an IQ, if not genius level, borderline genius. I feel like people say this about everyone. I mean, don't yeah, they say exactly. this about Dolph Lundgren and what are the like two twin boxers? Uh, the I don't know the boxers, but Dolph Lundgren, he's an interesting uh, character in that he is not only a black belt in kickboxing, but he actually has a master's degree in chemistry. Yeah, I've heard or that. Or chemical but, engineering, something like but that. But isn't it from like the University of Moscow? They just gave it to him or something? I think it's something? in Sweden, so okay. make of that okay. what you will. But anyway, so apparently Arnold Schwarzenegger is very, very intelligent. Do you think that he has minimal talent or do you think that for lack of better words he's a lazy actor and just knows what works and he's going to do what works hmm, i that's an interesting question i've never really thought of it. i've i've always thought that he was just sort of a bad actor like i would because i would assume if you're going to be he's been in a ton of movies if you're going to be in that many movies like eventually you'll catch on and you'll get it and he just doesn't seem to doesn't use, doesn't seem so to. maybe he's just a step ahead um, of the rest of us although i mean as i think about it He, as he got into, you know, maybe like the late nineties and early two, like actually kind of maybe as his career started to dwindle, he got a little like not great, but better. Um, like jingle all the way. It's kind of a terrible movie, but I, I kind of like it. Well, I have an affection for jingle all the way. It it gets completely ridiculous at the end, but I, I think it's a pretty solid. It's, I mean, B grade, B grade Christmas comedy. it's, It's not a great movie. It's one I will watch if it's on TV in like November though. Well, let me ask you this question then. Um, we've, we usually, as, as cinema pretentious people that we are, we usually define an actor's quality by their diversity. If they're a Marlon Brando, they can play multiple different roles mm-hmm. or, um, or the depths of characterization they have also like a, like a Robert De Niro who you see there's an inner life with mm-hmm. a lot of his characters. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's something to be said about someone who just absolutely and completely knows who they are? like Arnold Schwarzenegger and doesn't deviate from that and is able to embody what they do and what they are. Do you think that that makes them a great actor or do you think, I think it works for some actors. I think, well, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to just pull a politician like Arnold and, and divert the question actually to something else that you, you spoke of in your intro in like his dwindling box office and, and what, what happened there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think part of it is the fact that, you know, the reason that there's not as much appeal for Arnold is he's not the same guy that he used to be. He doesn't have the physical appeal that he used to have because he's gotten older. Mm-hmm. And so he just, you know, he can't rely on that sheer mass to intimidate anymore, to be spectacle. I mean, it was, it was almost a freak show sort of, um, 
size that he had. Well, he himself prime. was a special feature. Yeah. And uh, Sylvester Stallone was asked, because apparently, you know, he's also really smart, but Sylvester Stallone was asked, <laughs> see, see. I don't know if he's if he's genius level, but he's apparently very smart as well. He was asked what he thought resulted in the decline of the mm-hmm. uh, one-man army kind of movies, and he said he thought it was Batman because of Velcro muscles. And so the presence of hmm. real mass see, I- was no longer impressive anymore. I've heard the argument also being made for um, another John McTiernan movie, actually, for um, Die Hard. Die Hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. With Because Bruce Willis isn't your muscle-bound. No. I mean, he's not He's he's not just some nerdy... He's not, yeah, schlub or anything. But, but he's, he's a more everyday dude. Mm-hmm. And um, Die Hard worked very well because, and I think ultimately because it didn't rely on the main actor being a muscle-bound freak show because he wasn't. So it was a good story overall. Whereas I think the things with, um, with something like predator, you, you go to see Arnold, you go to see this big hulking mass, um, firing weapons and holding a gun in each hand and being greased up and oily. And, um, you know, looking, just looking like a inhuman human, you know, at, at peak physical condition. Well, let's talk about that mythology guy, Joseph Campbell, some more. It's very much the Greek Hercules. Yeah. Uh, this is this is a, a hero who is part god. He doesn't look like we, most people could ever mm-hmm. look like. And two things about that is it seems like our, our motion picture movie heroes nowadays are more and more, you know, down to earth, more and more normal, it might say. But yet they always have to get buff. Matt Damon has to get buff, Ben Affleck has to get buff, et cetera, et cetera. So do you think that maybe just the value of being ripped is is lessened? Does that make sense? You see you see these gym ads and gym uh, commercials and things like that, and everybody looks like Arnold now. Mm-hmm. So maybe Arnold's a victim of his own success. I don't I don't know if you could say everyone like I don't think anyone looks like Arnold anymore, other than like maybe Terry Crews. Um but everyone does look more. I mean, certainly Christian Bale looks way more ripped than Michael Keaton did in right. Batman. You know, there's um, so maybe the bar has been raised for just the overall median, and so I don't know. I I just I feel like that if if there was a second wave of the the muscle bound hulking uh, action heroes, it would surprise me. Um, because it feels like it feels like something very much of its time. Well, see, I'm going to disagree on that because I think it is kind of happening, just not in the same way. Mm-hmm. I think that both Vin Diesel and The Rock would probably be the most obvious inheritors of the Arnold Schwarzenegger the Rock, mantle. Yeah. The and, Rock, but The Rock has charm and charisma. Well, that's what. But no, and that's and that is what works for him beyond. That's so. Well, wait, you don't think Arnold Schwarzenegger's chariz- charismatic? Um, in a very limited way. See, I think he's, I think he's got an insane amount of charisma, just a limited amount of acting talent. So the charisma makes up for the lack of acting talent hmm. is how I would describe it. You, so you think the charisma comes from the, it's just do you him. think it's bound to, or it's okay. So it's, it's the uncle Arnold. Well, yeah. Cause I've thing. even, yeah. Well, no, uncle Arnold being a good way of looking at, cause I've even seen some of his more recent pictures where he is, he cannot necessarily rely on being mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Olympia anymore, mm-hmm. but he still is able to bring that did, Arnold Did you charm. see, what's the one with him and Stallone and they got to break out of the... Escape plan. Did you and see that? I've I, not I, seen it okay, yet. Okay, I really, it's, I think it's on Netflix right now. I really want to see it. It's one of those that I wanted to catch at the Dollar Theater when it was at the Dollar Theater and then it was gone and I, I didn't. And it's finally on Netflix where I can like, I can justify watching it for... Actually, the, I don't mean to break your heart, but I don't think it is because I checked recently. Oh, really? I check. I mean, you can spend three dollars and get it well, on that's, Amazon. That's the thing. I don't want to spend the three dollars. I just want to watch it because I, I know it's. I know it's, there. I know it's going to be like it's not going to be great. It's not going to be worth it. But I'm really curious at the same time. Um, but but, uh, but that's actually what uh, did you ever see the rundown with The Rock? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then there's the, the there's the very literal scene of uh, Arnold walking past him and saying, have fun, which is a uh, passing of the torch kind mm-hmm. of scene. So I think that was even Arnold saying, hey, you're the you're the action star now. And whereas Arnold was, as you've pointed out very much of his time, a big, hulking, beefy guy who was uh, an immigrant, which I think that is a huge part of his appeal, his mm-hmm. accent. Um, Rock and Vin Diesel, their, their race is kind of amorphous. 
I mean, if you you, you, really, you, only, you have to look it up what they are. So they they're more mul- well, no, I'm serious. They they they're more multicultural. Well, Vin, you know what I mean? Vin Diesel's what a wizard, right? Or is, or is he a druid? He could be. He could be. But he's but he's, he's also he's, he's he also really steals into, cars. He's really into D and D. I did know that. Yes. Okay. okay. Um, you, you but, think- but but actually, that plays into it as well as they've got the nerd credential is mm-hmm. is maybe they're kind of nerds themselves. But do you see what I'm saying? Is both Vin Diesel and Rock are more multicultural than Arnold I, ever I, was? I guess so. I but. Okay, first of all, I don't know if I would compare Vin Diesel and the Rock, the Rock one to one. I don't think like Vin Diesel is he's got muscles, but he's not he's not the Rock. Like he's you not, don't know he is. You don't you don't see his deltoids and say like holy shit! Like how are, how are you a human being? You know, um, and he's not as he's not as charismatic. He's more although. Um, I, I would say generally he's more like he has his own, maybe he's closer to Arnold in that he has his own range mm-hmm. and it's different than Arnold, but it's not huge. Um, unless he's playing the iron giant, which is incredible and sort of, or, uh, what's his fit? Or, but then again, that's a robot again. So maybe that's well, or he's <laughs> playing a tree. He's playing Groot. I oh, thought yeah. he was fantastic. Yeah, he was, he was fantastic as Groot. But the rock, I think I, I think it'll be interesting to see how the rocks career goes because I don't think he's going to have the problem that Arnold Schwarzenegger has because he's just all around a better actor and a more charismatic, really like, I mean, I've seen him in a lot of really not great or forgettable movies, but I walk out of them enjoying them, like having fond memories because he, it was just so much fun to hang out with him. And I don't really ever get that from watching an Arnold movie. Interesting. So, um, you, you haven't seen a ton of Arnold movies. I mean, I've seen, I've seen a fair amount, but not like, I haven't seen Commando. I haven't seen the quintessentials. Yeah. I mean, if you want to list off some stuff, I can just give you a yes. Well, have a, real quick. well have, uh, okay. You haven't seen Commando. I imagine Conan. You haven't seen Conan, I haven't seen Conan. but I'm sure, surely you've seen True Lies. I've only seen parts of True Lies. I know you love this movie. Well, no, True I, Lies is absolutely I have a magnifique. Real, I have a real love-hate relationship with James Cameron. Um, I think when he— This would be part of the love. This um, would go on the love okay. James Cameron column. Okay, that's—yet to be yet to be determined. I actually, like, considered trying to watch it before this just so that we could discuss it because I know how much you really like it. Uh-huh. Uh, I just couldn't squeeze it in. Um, so, I mean, I've seen a good— bit of it i mean doesn't he like fly a harrier jet next to a building it, it, no it's 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 next level nonsense but <laughs> but it, it, it's it's just and tom arnold but it's shows just up. so imaginative and it's nonsense mm-hmm. which <clears throat> it's it's one of those things there's a difference between the snarky winking at the camera i'm almost kind of a like i'm taking advantage of you just give me your money kind of yeah yeah kind of lunacy and then this type of lunacy where it's just you can see the director's imagination at work. And that's what I admire about a yeah, picture I'll, like True Lies. I'll, I'll watch True Lies. Let's not put it on the war crimes list. I'll, I'll get quite, to it. Quite, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, if, and it, yeah, you can give me, you can give me like a, a ticking time bomb, an ultimatum. And if, uh, if I still haven't gotten to it. Then, then it will qualify. Yeah. Um, and then what about Terminator? Have you seen Terminator? I have. I don't like Terminator. At all? I, or I, just? Um, it's, I haven't seen it since high school, but. Uh, I thought it was really inferior to Terminator two, you know, like oh, Terminator, I, two, yeah, Terminator two was the, the one that I knew and loved. And so I was excited to see sort of where it came from. And it felt like there were so many changes they made in Terminator two that made it a better mythology. And, and not to say that like, it's worse because Arnold's the bad guy in Terminator. It's just, I'm, I'm amazed that they were able to get from Terminator to Terminator two. It seems like such a giant leap forward. Um, and I think, I don't know if we, I know we've had this discussion, but I don't know if we've had this discussion on the podcast. You, you had once told me, you think that that's because James Cameron was trying to make a bigger movie than he could with Terminator. And by the time he got to Terminator 2, he finally could. He finally had his money. Yeah. Um, I think that played into it. If uh, that's, that kind of describes James Cameron as it's always has to be, you know, great big. And he's even said as much as he doesn't want to make small movies. And so I admire Terminator in that respect is it it's I with what he had to work with. It's it's a much bigger movie than it could mm-hmm. have been otherwise. Yeah. And, and like I said, it's been I mean, it's probably been 12 years or so since I've seen it. So 
um, worth a revisit for me. Well, okay, then let's talk about this a little bit. Is you you mentioned the Arnold one-liners, and so many of his one-liners are not just they don't just work within the context of the movie, but they're they've transcended the film. Yeah. Do you yeah. think that that's just a matter of the accent, or what do you think that's about? I, I think an, I think the accent honestly has a large part to do with it because people love you know when people repeat them, they repeat them in the accent. You know, it's it, it makes it so much more fun and it, it kind of um, I think it, it makes the bad acting a little more forgivable in places. Um, and so I, I'm doing a really terrible job answering your question. Yes, I think the accent has a lot to do with it. I think when it works, I think that's a a piece of it working. Um, real quick, I want to, uh, direct everyone's attention. If you have not seen, um, taking this in a totally different direction, have, have you seen the clip somebody put on YouTube, like the best moments of, uh, Paul Verhoeven and Arnold Schwarzenegger doing commentary on total recall. Have you seen this? I have not. Oh my gosh. How have we not talked about this before? How have I not shown this to you? You're going to love this. Um, it's, it's maybe, I don't know, between five and 10 minutes long. And so it's not, you know, it's not all the commentary, but it's the best parts. And most of the time it's just Arnold Schwarzenegger describing like what he likes about scenes or what's about to happen or what just happened. And it's like, the most inane sort of commentary, but because he brings like because of the accent and because he brings enthusiasm to it, you like it's really enjoyable and really fun to listen to. And now he's telling him that, that he has to take the bug out of his nose, which is this gross scene. Remember, everyone was right. grossed, grossed out me putting this thing up my, in my, uh, my nose. There was uh, the bug that was inside my nose. And that's why they always could find me. Now here they are following, the, obviously, the, I put the, the little device that was in my nose, I put uh, on the, in the chocolate, gave it to the rat, and the rat is now running around with that device. But they don't know, they think that I'm right there, they're, they're on my track. This is a wonderful scene uh, where I uh, come up to Mars as an old lady, as a fat old lady. Well, and so there you go, maybe we will end right where we began, is just... The the story of the immigrant who comes to America and is so happy to be here and builds for himself a great life, even if he's not the best at what he does, just that the charisma and the enthusiasm that he brings to everything probably accounts for his place, his now, permanent place in pop culture. Now, are we talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger or John S. Rad, the director of Dangerous Men? Who immigrated to the United States in 1979. Fascinating. We're talking about all the above. We're talking about John S. Rad, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Paul Verhoeven, all the we got, above. We got a real through line here, Hunter. Yeah, exactly. Um, very uh, very multicultural episode. I don't think Donald Trump would like it very much. Mm-mm, not at all. Not one bit. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's Chris and my opinion on Arnold Schwarzenegger. Do you think he's a good actor, or does he just have a really nice accent? Please let us know at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Stick around for our really rad recommendations coming up next. You were the right way. I was just waiting for you to look at me. Is there a wrong time? Baby, I guess just let me All right, Hunter, recommendation time once again. Um, I'm sure you're going to shame me with something. Is it? Uh, does this come from Arnold's canon? Well, it's related to Predator, not related to Arnold. Oh, okay. So stick with me here for a second. During the summer, I like to engage in some light reading. Mm-hmm. And so this summer, I read what was my first ever Tom Clancy book, Patriot Games, and then read that book and watched the movie. And both of them are pretty mediocre experiences. And it was it was pretty disappointing, both of them, because I hadn't seen Patriot Games in another number of years and that I'd never read the book. I have a, I have a quick, going to derail this completely sort of question. Uh, how do you feel about the comparison of, of books to their film adaptations? Uh, usually I think it's a better idea to see the movie first because that's the story. And mm-hmm. then if you like it, then that's, spend however okay. long. That's, that's exactly, that's exactly kind of how I feel. And, and honestly, I think comparing like to, to say, Oh, well the movie didn't do X, Y, Z, like 
totally different mediums doing totally different things. Yeah, if the movie achieved what it set out to achieve. So anyway, I acquainted myself with Tom Clancy's literature and then reacquainted myself with his filmography. And so I was reminded of a better Tom Clancy picture from 1990's The Hunt for Red October, which is directed by John McTiernan, who directed Predator. Right. Um, I think that this is, it's one of those movies that, as the cliche goes, they don't make it, they don't make movies like this anymore. What's fascinating about it is, uh, much like Arnold is always playing an Austrian, Sean Connery is always playing a Scotsman. Yeah. And that's actually what Terry Gilliam said is AFI uh, achievement ceremony is no matter who Sean Connery is playing, he's always Scottish. And so what they do here is, even though he's playing a Soviet submarine captain, they they have him speaking Russian at the beginning, and they gradually transitions into just right, his normal right. voice because they knew there's no way he could do it. So despite that, that also also just a smart move for a sort of popcorn. Well, exactly. There's, there's no way, and then they repeated it later on with Tom Cruise and Valkyrie because uh, there was just no way it would have worked otherwise. And so anyway, despite that little uh, kitschy quirk, it's it's a I, solid. I think it's I think it's a really good conceit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just coming out and saying this is the best we can do. But it's a it's a really solid uh, early 90s suspense espionage picture. If you don't know what it's about, in a nutshell, it's about a Russian submarine, a Soviet submarine that is drifting into American waters. And then Alec Baldwin as Dr. Jack Ryan in the CIA has to stop the Soviet sub. So that's currently on Netflix, directed by John McTiernan, The Hunt for Red October. Okay, so I just defended that whole transition mechanism from Russian to English, and I'm now going to admit I've never seen Hunt for Red October. Um, it's it is a war crime of mine as well. Uh, let's let's uh, do the same. Well, well, give, well, give, yeah. me, give me a little ultimatum. I mean, it's on Netflix. So. Yeah, it's on Netflix for I'll, the time uh, being. So okay, yeah. Well, that's that's well. Then my... well, then if you haven't seen Hunt for Red October, have you seen any of the Jack Ryan pictures? I don't think so. Fascinating. I haven't seen uh, Ben. I haven't seen the Affleck one or what's his face. The, uh, the, uh, that's all he needs to be known yeah, yeah, as is the, what's the, his face. The, uh, Chris Pine. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. Um, shadow recruit. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I don't think I've seen any of the Harrison Ford was. And then Alec Baldwin was before that. Yeah. Okay. No, don't think so. Okay. So my recommendation this week is going to be, you actually mentioned it just offhand earlier in the review. Uh, it's Sam Peckinpah's The Wild Bunch. I didn't mention it. Arnold mentioned it. Oh, pardon <laughs> as me. I was referencing Arnold. Right, yeah. right. That's that's right. Um, and I found myself thinking about the Wild Bunch a lot in uh, in watching Predator, and it's a it's a great little. Uh, I don't even know. Little is is probably not the the right term. It's. Yeah, I was waiting to see where you're going a, with that. It's a it's a messy uh, little western by by Peck and Potts. Been you know depending on who. Uh, whose opinion you, you read, it's either a glorious, masterful, like, uh, mess of a movie or a disgusting, uh, hideous mess of a movie. And you know, it's, it's both. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. I, I like this movie a, a lot. Um, I fall in, in the camp, obviously, of I think it's a, a glorious mess. Like, I think he's, uh, using this violence. And, and this is the thing that, that people get up in arms about sometimes is um, they say, Oh, well he slowed down all the slowed down all the violence. He's really just showing you more than you need to see. Um, I think he's doing more than that. He's really showing you, I mean, cause there's no, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's uh, this Western set in the early 20th century, I believe Texas and um, in Texas and Mexico. And there, there's basically no good guys in this movie. It doesn't even set up from the beginning. It doesn't totally set up whose role is what. And so as you're going through, you're trying to figure it out. And then maybe halfway through, you realize like there are no good guys. It's just, everyone is sort of a, a moral, um, character, a, a, and, and a mythical figure, which is, you know, something that has been a trope of the Western since the invention of the, uh, the genre as in, in film. Um, and I think he, he masterfully, um, uh, attacks it. You know, I went to, uh, Pauline kale to try to get some, a little bit of juice in making my predator, uh, intro and much to my chagrin found that she had not reviewed predator. I, I find that I very often disagree with Pauline kale, but find her insight very intriguing. Um, I was surprised to find that she actually seemed to kind of like this movie and kind of like what Peckinpah was doing, which I, I find odd because it is a very, you know, she, for example, tore apart Top Gun saying it's, you know, it's just men greased up homoerotic 
uh, men doing MTV, like MTV extravaganza. And I could see her not, not, you know, lodging the exact same complaints, but just saying it's glorified violence and it's machismo and everything. But, um, she ended up on, on, uh, the side of it. So, uh, it's got that too. It's a, it's a Western that Pauline Kale approves. Well, there you go. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. So, <laughs> Hey, I, you know, I, that's, that's what I like about reading Pauline Kale though, is like, I almost never agree with her, but I always find her perspective fascinating. Well, and I guess, yeah, even if you don't agree with the, and it's, it, it's almost wrong to call her a reviewer, the, a movie reviewer. She's a critic, you know, yeah, she's a cultural yeah. critic and tie, ties movies into that. But uh, yeah, The Wild Bunch, it's uh, I would say it's definitely essential viewing. It's uh, one of the charter members of the Men on the, a Mission action picture, mm-hmm. which would I would say is probably one of my favorite genres and which we saw quite a bit of in Predator. But Wild Bunch just is that much more. So it's it's right up there with the it, Dirty Dozen. It's, yeah, it's a fun, bloody, just fantastic, but uh, still, you know, it's it's a fun ride, but it's also a viscerally disgusting and like it's got more to it beyond that, too, I think. Whatever you've heard about it is true. It's worthy <laughs> yeah, of its yeah, reputation. That's true. That's true. Well, and speaking of people who live up to their reputation, that's a wrap for another episode of War Starts at Midnight. Check us out online at warstartsatmidnight.com. And there you can sign up for our weekly newsletter, The Midweek Memo. It's packed with recommendations, news about upcoming episodes, and exclusive articles written just for you. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr at WSAMPod. And if you've made it this far into the credits, it's pretty safe to assume you like us. So why don't you stop what you're doing right now and leave us a review in iTunes. It'll help us reach new listeners and it'll make you feel awesome. Or if you're the trolling type who's just hate listening through these credits, well, tell us everything we got wrong at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or give us a call on that bright red telephone at 484-424-6362. Music on this week's show is by Sports. Hear more at sportsbandok.com. Tune in next time when we'll be discussing The Martian. Thanks for listening. Hasta la vista, baby. to see it here and there that's why it turned to the talk of the town yeah dangerous man the movie is fine john f red directed it he's my man so quick he made lots of fans his name all over with respect whoever saw the film said it's perfect Don't lose the fun time. Go and see it. It's unforgettable. Oh, yeah. Do not miss it. Oh, yeah. Dangerous Men. The movie.com shows where it's now or may come. This film's so different. It's so much fun, 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 fun. No wonder Dangerous Man is the talk of the town. Go online. Go, go, go. www.dangerousmen.themovie.com